Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Welcome to week three of Road Trip. During a time where many of us are taking to the road for a summer holiday, where we find a different pace and a different place, and as a result, often a different perspective, we are looking at times where Jesus too was on the road and where these moments weren't just your standard getting from A to B kind of trips, but moments which actually became critical with critical lessons that can help you today on whatever journey you find yourself on right now. And so on week one, if you remember, we found that on whatever dark road of uncertainty you find yourself on, Jesus can do the impossible. He can use the very lies and whispers uh, that speak to you from the dark as the very platform to prove truths that perhaps you've forgotten about yourself. Uh, and last week, Steve came and talked around how following Jesus isn't just about comfort and convenience, uh, but actually it's costly and countercultural. I don't know if you're going on a road trip of your own this year. Uh, something that has been made clear to me, though, in the last few weeks is that depending on your stage of life, a road trip can have very different implications as to the levels of enjoyment you're able to experience because of one critical factor. Uh, one factor that when you add it in can actually change the whole scope of your plans. For example, for me, I love uh, any opportunity for a long drive to explore somewhere new, uh, to not know exactly where I'm going, uh, what I'll be doing. I love just being able to get up a little bit later and kind of make plans as and when I need to. If, however, you add in the elements of having to look after small children, which many of you do, then all of a sudden I'm aware that that kind of freedom isn't quite so possible. And so when you add kids into the equation, uh, for me, I'm more than happy to do longer stretches of driving so that I can just get to somewhere interesting. If you're someone with kids, you have to be happy with setting off five minutes in and hearing the dreaded phrase, I need a wee. For me, as I said, I don't really mind driving long distances. However long the drive, I can easily just kind of prepare my mind for how long I'm going to be driving for. If you're a parent, you don't get that luxury uh, because half an hour in, you get to hear the phrase, are we nearly there yet? Uh, and for me, if there's just too much noise in the car, all I have to do is just turn down the radio. Uh, if you're a parent, chances are you'll have to hear the phrase or say the phrase. Uh, if you don't turn down right now, I will turn this car around. Here's the thing. However great an experience should be, it only takes a little need for attention for that experience to turn sour. It only takes a I need or an I want or something that ultimately says it's about me for things to get a little bit harder. However great the experience should be, it only takes a little need for attention for that experience to turn sour. And as adults, we know this. 
Uh, a few weeks ago, I went to a wedding of my friends, Rachel and Theo. These guys are some of the coolest people uh, that I know, and it was the first wedding that I'd been able to go to uh, since really the COVID restrictions uh, had been pretty much all lifted. Uh, it was just one of the best weddings. The weather was great in spite of it being forecasted to rain all day. Uh, the whole venue was beautiful. Uh, when Rachel walked down the aisle, Theo was looking at her and, and just wiping away the tears. Steve, uh, Rachel's dad, just had the proudest look on his face as he was walking her down the aisle. Everyone looked amazing. The food was delicious. And when it came to the speeches, Rachel and Theo sat down together outside in front of everyone. As people stood up and started sharing stories about them both, why they were both just so great and, and how they were loved by so many people. And like most great weddings, one of the reasons that it was so good was that everyone's attention and thought was given to the right people, the groom and even more so the bride. Everyone's attention was looking in the right direction. But imagine for a second that that just wasn't the case. Imagine for a second going to a wedding where everyone's attention wasn't in the right direction. Imagine when you get in and sit down, the best man stands up, and as the music starts to play and the bride walks down the aisle, he says, could we all be upstanding for the vicar who's going to be taking this wedding this morning? I mean, it would just be a little bit weird. And as the bride walks down the aisle, you notice that all of the bridesmaids have decided to, instead of wearing all the matching bridesmaids dresses that were picked out for them, they've actually all picked their own dresses uh, in order that they might look far more impressive than the bride herself. Uh, and when it comes to the vows, the vicar turns to the groom and instead of asking what you might expect, he actually says, do you promise to look after yourself for richer and for poor in sickness and in health? And then you get to the reception and, and things get weirder. The groom stands up to give a speech about how great he is and he never once mentions his wife. And the father of the bride stands up and talks about his own wedding and his own marriage, never once mentioning his daughter. And then the food comes out and everyone's eating, but you look up and you see the catering staff uh, go over to the head table and say, I'm really sorry, uh, we've actually just run out of food. We ate your food uh, and we haven't got enough for you. And then someone stands up and says, it's time for the first dance. But instead of the bride, you look up and you see the maid of honor stepping in and starting to dance with the groom. And when they finished, uh, another guy walks onto the dance floor and proposes uh, to his girlfriend. And from that moment on, everyone starts celebrating that instead. I mean, you just think that would be crazy. You just think this is the worst wedding ever. The bride was completely ignored. The attention, the celebration, the excitement and honor was all given to everybody else. It just wouldn't make sense. Because everyone's attention would be facing the wrong direction. You know, I think weddings are probably one of the best reflections of God's intentions for how he wants his church to look. I don't necessarily mean the ceremony as much as I mean the celebration. In fact, when you look into the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, one of the dominant metaphors of what heaven is going to look like is this wedding feast, this union, the celebration between Jesus and the church, where everyone's attention is facing the right direction. Now, you see this in a book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible that's this piece of apocalyptic literature. And it describes how, it's, uh, how this time is going to be like a wedding feast, where Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, and the attention of the church is 
on Jesus and Jesus is there celebrating the church. Uh, and now I don't know if you've had faith or not, uh, but whether you're someone who calls the forge their home or normally goes to a different church or perhaps you have no church at all. Uh, and if that's you, I'm so glad that you're watching today. But when it comes to the image of faith, or the idea of God, or the reputation of the church. For many, many people, the image that gets formed in minds, that gets felt in stomachs, is not necessarily the same idea that you get when you think of a wedding feast. And it's not necessarily a bad feeling, although for you it might be. Much of the time it's just this nothing feeling. It's a shrug of the shoulders feeling. It's a, I've never really thought about that for a long time, or really looked into it feeling. Uh, and I want to suggest for a second that if that's you, perhaps it's because somewhere along the line, your attention has been stolen. And it's like everything faith claims to be, you don't really see it. It's like you're at a wedding, but nothing looks how it's supposed to be, because everyone's attention is in the wrong direction. And really, this general idea was central to what Jesus came into the world to do and became a central lesson when he was on the road with his disciples. Uh, it would be his followers and associates of Jesus that would eventually write down what they saw of Jesus's life. And Mark, who wrote one of these documents, picked up on this central idea. And this idea sounds a little bit strange if you haven't heard it before, but we're going to uh, unpack it a little bit together today. And this central idea was this that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was here. In fact, when you read Mark's story of Jesus that you find in the New Testament, that's exactly what Jesus said when he first comes onto the scene. He says to everyone, turn around, look over here. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's right now. And you might not get that straight away and what it means, and that's fine because for pretty much the whole of the first part of this account of Jesus that Mark writes, it's Jesus speaking to crowds of people, telling them that the kingdom of heaven is here and now, and none of them really get it. I mean, Jesus gives metaphors and shows examples, uh, and there are glimpses of it, but people don't really get what this kingdom is supposed to look like or what it really was. In fact, part of the confusion that you might be feeling now is that you thought the kingdom of heaven or heaven was just something that you're supposed to be thinking about later on after you die. Uh, but Jesus seems to record Jesus saying over and over and over again that really, as well as being something to experience one day, heaven was something that could be unleashed now, where God's presence was now, God's intention was for now, God's love existing on earth. That's what the kingdom of heaven really was. And this confusion about what this kingdom is supposed to look like just happens over and over and over again. And one day on the road, Jesus overhears a conversation that epitomizes why so many people were confused. Mark records this. After they, which was the disciples and Jesus, arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house. And Capernaum was this little village where Jesus lived for a lot of his adult life that was right on the Sea uh, of Galilee. Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? And now this was going to be one of those classics. I know what you were talking about, but I want to hear you say it moments. And then we find but the disciples didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. 
This was one of those journeys, parents, where the kids are in the back fighting over something trivial. Uh, where your foot's on mine and you're in my seat and it's my turn to choose the song. And he said, she said, are we nearly there yet? Kind of arguments. Uh, Jesus, whilst not stuck in the car, was seemingly walking on ahead, but listening in on an argument happening between his followers about which one was the greatest, which one was most important. This argument is actually recorded in other accounts of Jesus. Too. And in fact, the next chapter of Mark, when the disciples seemingly still don't understand Jesus's answer that he's going to give, uh, two of the disciples actually come up to Jesus and give more context around what they were asking about. And they kind of secretly come up to Jesus and say, say Jesus, in heaven, now can we sit on your right and the left hand side of your throne? Uh, now, in a wedding feast at this time, like today, there would have been seats that represented special places of honor. Uh, in this time, the bride and groom would have sat together at the head of the table, uh, which was almost set out like a horseshoe. And then the closer you were in line leading up to the bride and groom, the more important you were to them. And so what these disciples were really asking about, uh, arguing about was this, which one of us should be honored the most? And Jesus, hearing this argument on the road, waits until they are inside and sits down as a rabbi would before giving an important lesson. And as his disciples sit down, he looks at them and says, boys, what was it that you were saying out on the road? And it must have kind of been funny because uh, whilst they were arguing about who, uh, you know, who should have been sitting closest to Jesus, now they would have probably all been kind of edging away a little bit and avoiding his eyeline uh, because they knew something that the essence of what they were arguing about showed that their intention, their attention was facing the wrong direction. And so Jesus brings them in close and gives a principle that I believe if everyone who followed Jesus truly understood would change the landscape of the communities uh, that they dwelled in. Uh, a principle that if I truly understood and lived out would truly change the community that I live in. Jesus sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. In other words, whoever wants to follow me, make sure your attention is in the right direction. It's like they were at this dysfunctional wedding where all of their attention was on themselves, where they were arguing about which one of them looked the best. And, and Jesus was saying, listen, in my kingdom, it's the opposite. It's like the perfect wedding where you see each other as the bride and me as the groom. And, uh, and that's where all your attention is going. You make sure that others are first to eat, that others uh, are made sure to look better than you do. Uh, that you arrive at the right time so not to steal any of the glory. Uh, that, you're, that you celebrate in a way that reflects others, not yourself. It's like even the thought of the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is completely paradoxical with the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Because at the very heart of God was one that sacrifices for others, where others sacrifice for you. And if they don't sacrifice for you, that's okay, because you still sacrifice for them. Then Jesus put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms he said, anyone who welcomes this little child in on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. A child, not able to look after itself, who has to take more than it's ever able to give, who can't pay back, who can't offer reward or plaudits. Let me ask you, really, 
When it comes to all the elements that make up you and your life, when it comes to your possession, when it comes to your time, when it comes to your influence, in what direction do you direct those things attention? Uh, because the normal default way uh, that we all tend to fall back to is for the attention to be on us. Uh, Christians, this can be really true for us as well, can't it, when it comes to church? Now, this isn't a telling off or anything like that because I'm as bad as anyone, but it's the default way of thinking. Isn't it true that if church doesn't fit me and what I want and what I like, that commitment can drop off, that buy-in can drop off? When it comes to our lives, what would it look like? What could it look like? What could look different if we saw those around us as the bride on her wedding day, if our attention was facing the right direction? And it's this principle that ended up being at the heart of the events that Christianity centralizes on. As later, Jesus was alone in the garden, crying out to God before his death, a death that would act as this ultimate sacrifice for others. Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours, Father. If there was one man who deserved for his attention to be on himself, it was Jesus. And yet he looked out more than anyone in the history of humanity. It's this attitude that's central to love. What would it look like for you, for your attention to be facing the right direction? Now, here's the thing. Many of us have heard this story before or heard the disciples fighting over who's the, great, the greatest and, and heard Jesus telling them that the last will be first and the first will be last. Many of us will have previously interpreted this in a way that I've interpreted this. And it's not an intentional interpretation, but it's an interpretation that you may have unintentionally lived out. And the interpretation is this. Most of us have interpreted this principle as not first. But when what Jesus really wanted us to understand of this principle was last. Most of us can live with not being first. Most of us can live even with being second. Uh, as long as we're not tenth in line or last in line. What does it actually mean to be last? Now, at this point, I'd normally give you a whole bunch of examples or uh, relationships and possessions and time commitments um, of what it could look like to be last. But today, I'm not actually going to do that because we are all smart enough to know exactly where we have a me first kind of attention. But what I'm going to do is offer you a challenge that might reveal to you where that attention looks inward first and might propel you to think a little bit creatively around how that could look different. Twice a day, ask yourself this question and you can take a picture of it. It's about to come up on the screen or write it down and set a couple of alarms on your phone each day for the next week. Twice a day, ask yourself this. What or who do I need to see before me to ensure that I... I'm a servant of all. What or who do I need to see before me, before my comfort, before my need, before my desire to ensure that I am a servant? I am the last of all. If you ask this twice a day of yourself, the things that you do without thinking about it, you will start thinking about. Uh, the little things that you see in, as insignificant will actually start to become habits that could end up leading to big, significant things. And these big things that might, uh, that maybe one or two of you right now will feel compelled to consider uh, may just become a springboard for a faith and adventure that you never realized was available to you. What or who do I need to see before me to ensure that I am a servant of all? 
That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.